This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. For more, visit lbj.utexas.edu. I'm excited to have with me today on our podcast, Policy on Purpose, Soledad O'Brien. And as an award-winning journalist, author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, just an amazing young woman, really. I love that you said young. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you you. are compared to me. (laughs) It's all relative. (laughs) Soledad is going to be our commencement speaker. She's graciously agreed um, to share some of her thinking with our graduates. This will be our 48th graduating class today. So, um, Soledad, when we do these kinds of podcasts, what we're trying to get at is getting down to the core of policy and how people have worked in policy and different facets of policy, how they feel about it. So, obviously, we're in interesting times. And policy— And by interesting, you mean crazy. (laughs) Crazy, interesting, confusing. uh, You know, people aren't sure where things are going, you know, whether we go to the past, whether there's a different future. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the air. And, of course, we're trying to train students in public policy. So how do we approach that? And um, so we train a lot with data and a lot of assumptions that people use on the data. So can you tell us, you're a leader in news media, and news media depends on data and information. How do you value that, and how do you seek out uh, sources that you feel are really important that are reliable to you? Yeah, so I think one of the big crises we're having right now is exactly that. There was a time when you would never put somebody on, let's say, a panel if they didn't have some kind of credible experience that would add value. Now, you might agree with them. You might disagree with them. You might feel that they reflect exactly how you feel politically, uh, or or you might feel like, oh, my gosh, this person, I'm completely on the other side of the, the political aisle. But there's always a sense that they had a value because they had served as the ambassador to China for 15 years, mm-hmm. or they had, they had done the job, so there was a certain amount of credibility. And I have found that uh, often now in media, um, adding to a lot of the chaos that I think people feel is this sense that it doesn't really matter your your resume. It really is, what are you going to say? Will you, will you throw a bomb into the conversation? Are you willing to go over the top? Are you willing to be insane? Are you willing to just make up facts? Are you willing to be uh, a character, if you will? And it's been described that way um, by some people, a character in this play mm-hmm. versus actually having thoughtful people who don't have to agree, but certainly should be having true conversations, I think, in journalism. Most of the work that I've done in documentaries are always around some policy. The policy and the data uh, undergirds the the narrative, the personal story that we're covering, right? So we're telling the story of a person. But underneath it is a real policy issue that we're trying to dig into. And so it has really concerned me. And I think it's going to be a real challenge for the students who are graduating today. How do they... We're in this flux. We're in a shift. And and how do you make sure that you're thinking about policy and thinking about serving the public using actual evidence and real data and facts? Um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a problematic time. And I think sometimes the media actually is somewhat guilty in not um, in not necessarily helping the situation. Mm-hmm. I think you hit on something very important, because another thing that happens here is we can go to data, we can go to evidence. And what our students need to do is not only assess that evidence for accuracy and reliability, but also how do you translate that it's into so what critical. you said, a narrative that oh, people can understand. If I had a dollar for every 
public policy or public affairs institution that produced a really fantastic report <laughs> that, yes. that was bound and delivered somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and didn't get out to people, right? If, you, if you're doing all this great research, but it doesn't actually live, uh, what's the point? And I think for me, a lot of my work over the last really five years or so has been trying to help organizations connect history and data and studies to actual human beings who need to understand uh, the information. We're at a time where we have more access to information than ever, and yet there's so little information that actually gets to people in many ways. And so I I do, I think this is another challenge for your students now professionals as they head out of graduation today to really uh, think about how they can have a voice, you know, a realistic voice in the world that's not just, here's a study, check, I've done the study. Exactly. It has to impact people. People. And some of that, too, I think, is you actually have to be able to use that and engage with people and collaborate with people, right? It can't just be about throwing facts at each other. It has to be about saying, okay, we know and we agree on these data points. How do we get How do we get to a solution? Often, I think we look at problems and we like to pick apart problems. We don't really focus on, well, what is the solution we're trying to get to? And again, I say that as a a journalist, um, but also as a a citizen. I think our government does that as well. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that we talked about earlier is ensuring that our students focus on the right problem, but it doesn't stop there. It starts there. That's the beginning. And then once you have that, then it is what kind, and we're talking about solutions or options, and are they feasible, and who's had input into that? So a lot of our structure of how we teach and how we're trying to prepare this set of students who have actually said, I'm stepping forward because I want to be in the middle of the most complex problems and I want to solve these problems, I think we have to um, say to these students directly that this is what you have to face. You hit it right on the head. You have to face all of these factors. You have to bring them together. You have to be the glue, and then you have to take it out uh, and not just stay inside. It has to make a difference. And understand that there's many... um points of view on solutions. Someone told me a great story, and I'll probably mangle it in the retelling, but they were talking about, it was at a philanthropy conference, and they were telling the story about how uh, people were standing by a river, and they saw babies were, were falling into the river, and so people immediately mobilized to grab the babies out of the river. And then someone said, well, wait a minute, we should go upstream and see where the baby's falling into the river, right? And, they, and there was a whole group of people who were like, oh, the solution actually is not just grabbing babies out of the river. <laughs> Start of the solution has to be, where are they falling into the river? We should stop that. And then someone else said, well, actually, maybe we should be teaching babies how to swim, right? Like, there are all kinds of ways to think about solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a fable, obviously. Um, I know real babies are dropping into rivers, but I probably should have started with that. (laughs) But but I I always— it's a good example. I love that example because it really was all about what kind of solutions are going to be the solutions that really work. And there are some short-term, medium-term, and long-term solutions, and also— some of those solutions are going to go back to the people who are being served as whether or not they're relevant. Having a solution that actually doesn't work, having, you know, the surgery was a success, but the patient died yes. kind of thing, yeah. and that actually does happen a lot. And so I think it's also about collaborating with communities to make sure that the solutions are actually effective solutions for the people who who live there, they're not just imposed upon people. I think that you've hit on another very important thing, because you can get wrapped up in the study and the excitement of, you know, really trying to pick things apart. And you can say, this is what I think the problem is. But if you go to the people that you're trying to help, that might not be what they see as the most important thing. History is littered with 
projects that never really got off the ground because no one thought to include community voices. And if you don't, you're pretty much destined to fail. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting, just in our short time together, just a few minutes and a few minutes upstairs, how you've really hit on the core of what we're trying to do in public policy schools. Because and it's it, essential. And it, I mean, I think it's because it is the essence of what it means to bring solutions to the world, right? Yeah. Um, right. We, we know, in a way, journalism, I think, takes many of these same pieces. You know, we like to think about, you know, here's the story. And then someone says, well, actually, hey, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> And I think you might be wrong. Yes. You know, when I started working in TV news, um, women's stories uh, were considered very fluffy. You know, oh, yeah. education was like a woman's story. So, mm -hmm. you know, like it wasn't it wasn't what we would consider to be the A block story. That wasn't in a, a community health center opening. Like that was all the light stuff. Mm -hmm. And now we know over time that those are the elements that make life livable for people, that those are actually the, the big issues that matter to people. Um, Childcare was considered this sort of ridiculous issue. It's certainly from journalism perspective, you know, no, no male reporter who was our big deal would be like, listen, I'm going to go get into that childcare story. But when you actually talk to people yes. about what is an insurmountable problem or something that is really standing in their way, it's childcare often. Mm -hmm. yes. And so I think we've seen some shifts in journalism because people have informed us. And even the coverage of minorities, you know, or or underserved populations, you know, people have gone in to, to tell, let me tell the story. And people will say, well, actually, our story is this. We have a story to tell. You know, maybe just give us the mic, actually. Yeah, and we have, right, we have something that we want to share about our community. And I think that's been a real shift in my time from starting as a reporter 30 years ago to now. Mm -hmm. One of the things we talk about a lot, too, is not only trying to get out there and walk in people's shoes and listen to them, but how do you navigate through people who have very different opposing positions? Yell at them. That always works. If you just <laughs> scream at them as loud as you possibly can, usually you wear you them down. Them you break them out of like it's a shock. Right, you right, shock yeah. them out of I mean, but you, you would think that that was the answer because that's kind of how people engage today. It is. Um, there's a lot of yelling. Yeah. I, you know, I Talking think over each other, like I just did with you. No. This is a podcast. That's how you do it. Um, uh, a congressman, a freshman congressman said something interesting, interesting to me the other day, and I do a, a public affairs show um, for, uh, for Hearst TV, syndicated. And he said when he came to Congress, he, he was at a meeting to solve some issue. And he walked in, and he's, he runs a small business. And he said, I— I looked for the whiteboard. Like, we're solving a problem. Where are we going to throw, you know, where, isn't there a whiteboard? Where are the ideas? Right, and we're going to, someone's going to do the marker, yeah. and we're going to, you know, and and he said it really was not about that at all, that everybody was just formulating sort of positions, that there was no solution. He's like, I, I came here to solve problems. My way might not be the only way, but I have a point of view that might add value to a solution. And he said that, you know, there was no whiteboard. There was no, no one was there to do what we know you do when you're trying to solve problems, right? You sit mm -hmm. down and say, okay, uh, let's identify. You know? Yes, exactly. Um, and so I thought that that was really revealing for a, 
freshman Congress member to say, you know, this is not how government should work. No, and I think they're stuck uh, in a time that that's really sort of what happens. In the past, when people, um, they would consider things, they would have hearings, they talk about things. They didn't have a stake in a solution, right? And they were formulating, like you say, creating a solution, understanding the problem. And then they would know that, and then they would come together. Now, often they come together at the very end when there is disagreement and people cannot find common ground. So they're there to try to figure it out. Well, there's so much history and so much baggage, and they weren't there at the stages when it was, when objective kind of um, observation was okay. Now it's like, get in there and fight for us and get this position. That's another thing we really have lost quite a bit about is it's okay to consider things, to take your time, to listen, and not to have an answer right away. But to wait. Yeah, well, in a 24-hour news cycle and social well, media, yeah, too. That, that time pressure, I think, has changed a lot. But, you know, it's it's sort of why the federal government, um, in terms of, you know, popularity, is, is low and why local leaders do well because they have to solve problems. Mm-hmm. You know, they just – they have to solve problems or they won't stay in office. And so I think that they end up being less about positioning and more about – Here's a solution. And so I think that a lot of the freshman members of Congress who we interview a lot have recognized that there has to be a better way. It gives me actually tremendous hope to have— That's great, though, that they actually recognize it and want to do something about that. Absolutely. Because we see often we just see 20, 30 members of Congress in the media feed, no matter what media feed. We don't see the other 505 in the background trying to work things out. And that, to me, is very dangerous. Midterm's coming, so you'll see them soon. (laughs) Yeah, right. They'll be out (laughs) campaigning. But, you know, when you like you, when you go behind and they're really thinking about things and you're talking to them about issues, they're very thoughtful. And one of the things I worry about a lot is that the image of, of a national legislature uh, is really tarnished by the fact that, you know, we're, ex- we're seeing those kinds of expectations played out in the media. Yeah, I think it is tarnished, but I also think those things make, you know, it's a pendulum and makes people want more and better. Mm-hmm. You know, I always ask the Congress members who come on my show, like, God, that <laughs> job looks terrible. <laughs> and, they, and they actually love to serve. Mm-hmm. I really think that they like to serve and they recognize that, you know, this there is a better way and they have to be part of a solution. And I think there's a lot of honor in deciding that you're going to be part of a solution and not just stand, uh, you know, on the edges being like, ah, that's terrible. That's yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. So so I, I really do, you know, kudos to those who come in and say, we have to work together. And, you know, we were just doing a, we had a couple of Congress members out the other day um, on our program who talked about how for freshmen, you know, civility is the issue they've embraced this year. Like they're going to— Do they to, tell you how they're doing that, how they're working through that? I think it's literally holding each other accountable for speaking well, for having respect for each other. They don't have to agree. You know, it's right, not a matter right. of saying well, I'm going to pretend— I'm going to agree with everything my colleague across the aisle says. Mm-hmm. But it is saying he's a human being— we're going to assume that that this person cares about the country, and we all do because we're here working toward making things better. We might not agree, but we're going to speak civilly to each other at a time when the national discourse, really, I think it's you know fair to say, is at a pretty maybe even an all time low. Mm-hmm. And so the, even the idea that that's something that they're considering gives me tremendous hope. Um, I really feel that that they understand the issues, and I. I don't think people want to work in an environment where nothing's working. That's the whole point, too, is like they can change the environment. You know, the people who are in that environment are the ones to change it. And like you say, if they recognize that and they do, they work on it, things. this gives me great hope, actually. Yeah, it really is. Because sometimes people don't see that. 
Uh, they don't have time to watch a lot of different news feeds or whatever. They go to their favorites. But the media has a responsibility, I agree. too. You know, we tend to take the loudest voices. We take the crazies on the edge. We, we you know, because you want to make, quote, unquote, good TV. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really problematic. But, you know, again, I think you're seeing... When we started our show, so our show is public affairs uh, once a week, Sunday mornings, and we started, we had about 100,000 viewers. And we, because we pre-tape our show, um, we found that we couldn't respond to news of the day, right? Mm -hmm. So we would never wake up and say, good morning, the president tweeted last night, oh my gosh, because we we tape a couple of days in advance. Mm -hmm. So we had to have context. Anything that was talking about the First Amendment, our view would be, so what is the First Amendment? How does it work? What were the founding fathers thinking about when they when they thought about the First Amendment? What is it supposed to do? How is it supposed to serve people? Um, what is gerrymandering? Why is it even called gerrymandering? Mm-hmm. And and what is it? What are the implications? You know, so we had to take this contextual view of mm-hmm. the world, of yes. the country. We have grown. We have about a million seven viewers. We have People probably the highest number like... of millennials watching a public affair. I'm like, yeah. they're up watching a public affair show on, on Sunday mornings. And that is because I do believe people actually are kind of over the screaming mm-hmm. and they like to understand an issue. And so even that gives me hope that there's a sense of just, oh, my God, this happened. Oh, my God, this. Wait, everybody over here. There's something else. Oh, my God, this. Yes. I don't know that that's serving people, certainly. Uh, I don't know that it's added value. And I think you see ratings go down. At Mm -hmm. the same time, other people say, let's do podcasts. Let's have thoughtful conversations. How do we dig into issues? So I, I, again, I, you know, we're in the middle of a shift. And I think anytime you're in the middle of a shift, it's very chaotic and it does not feel good. But I had a boss many years ago who said, you know, there's opportunity in chaos. And I think that's really true. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. The other thing I was thinking about when, when you were talking is that, you know, the first branch of government is the legislative branch. In the legislative branch, in the Constitution, and it's supposed to be an informed legislative branch, you know, informing the electorate. So we go to the media and say, okay, how do you do this? And I think what you're saying is getting away from now just reporting facts of something that actually happened, putting them in the context of our democracy, of our republic, of our, you know, of our bodies of, of governing, of the people who govern, is really critical. I'm going to bet you $5 that there was more done more time spent talking about Kanye's comments about slavery being a choice than actually walking through what's in the farm bill. There you go. Oh, I totally agree. I'm fairly confident I will win that $5, right? You don't because— I agree, but what you said before is really important. The fact that you can take the story that's in the farm bill, you can take that to real people, you can show how the farm bill has tensions in it and bring it to people. So sometimes I think we try to simplify things because we think people aren't sophisticated enough to understand— but I really don't believe that. I said, if we believe that, we are done. We are done. You know? Oh, well, I think people, listen, I, I, I completely agree. People are, when it affects your life, you're very sophisticated. I did a documentary about opioid addiction. And most of the time we were in uh, Kentucky talking to people who in many cases were, some cases, middle class people, but in some cases, people who really had struggled and didn't have a lot of access. I mean, I would say underprivileged and underserved and certainly not well-educated let me tell you that the details that they fully understand about options for helping people who are addicted to opioids, they 
have their PhDs Mm -hmm. in navigating a really failed and flawed system. They may not be particularly book smart and have numerous degrees after their name, but they understand the system better than everybody else. And they know where they're not being served. They fully get it. So I agree with you. I think we, you know, we have the sense, ah, no one gets it. Oh, no, they, they, they fully get it. No one more understood the failure of government than people in Hurricane Katrina. Again, yes, not necessarily yes. Um, yes. well-educated, uh, but they fully understood where they were not being served mm-hmm. and, and why they were not going to get back into their homes anytime soon. Yes, yes. Well, I want to ask you, if you were to give advice to students, not just our students who are in public policy and public affairs, but students who are going out who are very interested in the public good, in trying to improve the public good, what are one or two things you would leave with them in terms of what you've seen in your life and all the accomplishments you've had and all the challenges you've had as well? You know, I think for me, it always comes back down to data. You know, a lot of what we did in documentaries were was to show people, to tell a story, but then also say, like, here's the data. Because I think what the news does a bad job in is, is giving a historical context Um, So, for example, we did a documentary about all the women who served at Ground Zero as rescuers. Women came to me and they said, you know, there's there's a bunch of women who worked as rescuers, but they're left out of the the story. Mm -hmm. I said, listen, I cover – actually, I literally said, listen – I covered that story, so I don't think so. But I will check. You know, we'll do a search of the data, and I'll come back to you. And they were right. And I had to basically (laughs) go back and grovel. (laughs) Right, because what happened was all those women were in the story, but as victims, Uh, as being rescued. They were not reflected in the art. They were not—their stories weren't told. They were not front and center in Mm -hmm. news coverage as rescuers. Mm -hmm. So we went to do this doc about the women of Ground Zero. And the amount of pushback that I got— was so fascinating. People would stand up in screenings and say, so I guess you're saying women are more brave than men. Oh, my. And I was like, one, I don't even know what that means. Yes. And number two, 9-11 had an opportunity for a lot of people to be brave. What are you even talking about? Mm -hmm. But I recognize that um, you're going to get pushback, and by having— data and having being able to show those stories, you know, there's so much, really, people would come at us weirdly with so much anger. And we we ended up doing this documentary. Um, and in fact, the way I was able to get it done was I ended the conversation by saying, um, do you know how many documentaries I've done on the German shepherds of 9-11? Like, why are we having this conversation? Yes. I, I've done five things on the German shepherds of 9-11. No one gave me any pushback. Um, and then when the doc actually aired, two things happened. One, the doc did very well, partly because we were taking a different look at the story. But also, we we um, the story of the women of Ground Zero isn't just the story of women. Right. The, one of the main characters is a guy whose wife was a police officer who mm. lost her life that day. Yes. You know, and so I think sometimes you have to show people like I know this sounds scary, but let's let's show you the data. Let's tell that story. I mean, so to me, solution number one, advice piece number one is to make sure you have all that data and the evidence at your fingertips. And again, as you say, not just raw data, but but narratives that are connected to data. You have to be able to tell people, let me let me explain, you know, what I think you're missing in this discussion. And have a real person that they can relate to. Always. Yes, yes. And then I think especially for people who care about policy, you have to not forget who you serve. 
It just, I can't, I mean, I sit on the board of the Rand Corporation, and we make some of the most amazing looking, you know, like reports. A, reports. And, yes. Oh, and some of them are like 780 pages. And I was like, wow, no journalist will ever read this. <laughs> Let me tell you. You know, like, how do you take this amazing yeah. research and information and storytelling and turn that into serving actual people? So my second piece of advice is really to constantly come back to, you know, but are you serving people? But are you serving people? But are you serving people? And I think if you can kind of keep yourself on that track, you really have the opportunity to make some pretty great change. Well, I thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, pleasure to talk to you and, you know, question you and be with you for this few minutes. Thank you so much, it's Soledad. It's my pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. To learn more, visit lbj.utexas.edu and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at the LBJ School. Thank you for listening.